Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I interview Michael Slarpian, a professor at Columbia University and the leading expert on the psychology of secrets, a fascinating area that hasn't been researched much at all. He found that on average, we keep about 13 secrets at a time, and the burden of these secrets comes not so much from the work it takes to keep the secret, but actually rather the way in which it brings isolation. Michael tells us how there are three dimensions to helping us judge how to manage the conflict that a secret brings and how to move forward in order to protect our mental well-being. Let's dive into today's podcast. Life can be hard and it's easy to feel stressed, anxious and out of control. What if there was a way to take back control? What if there was a practical way to detox your brain? This is now possible with NeuroCycle, the first ever scientifically tested brain detox app shown to help reduce anxiety and depression by up to 81%. Users are guided through a variation of audio and video, brain exercises and mind management lessons every day. I'm excited to share some of the latest features in the app, including guides for children and parents, detailed feedback and recommendations, written guides through days 22 through 63 of the NeuroCycle, and an easy way to track your progress. There are over 500,000 NeuroCycle users worldwide, and the app has helped change thousands of lives, including people trying to find purpose in life, overcoming fear, better sleep, improved relationships, managing intrusive thoughts, depression and anxiety, and so much more. NeuroCycle is for everybody. No matter who you are, what you've been through, what you do, you have an incredible mind and brain that is always on and needs to be managed so that you can live your best both mentally and physically. This app is designed for individuals, couples, families, businesses or corporations, for everyone, everywhere. Join us by committing just a few minutes a day and see how your life is transformed. In just 63 days, you will have begun rewiring your brain for a happier and healthier life. Download the NeuroCycle app today and start changing your life one thought at a time. Just look for NeuroCycle on the iTunes App Store or Google Play or visit NeuroCycle.app. The link and more information will be in the show notes. Michael, I'm really looking forward to talking to you today about this amazing book of yours, The Secret Life of Secrets. What really fascinates me is that you're one of the few people in the world who has actually dived into the concept of secrets and what it really means. And you've done extensive research. You're a professor at Columbia University. You've just done amazing work. And your story is is wonderful. And your work is really, really exciting, touching on an area that people don't they know about. We've all got secrets, but we don't really understand them. And you bring a whole new light to it. So welcome. And thank you for your great work. Thanks for having me. Well, let's begin with just you telling a little bit about who you are. I gave a brief intro, but it's always nice to hear it from the person and why you do what you do. I've been studying secrecy for the past 10 years now. When I started this program of research, I didn't realize at first we actually knew very little about secrets that would come to light in the beginning. Well, that's great because I can launch you into it because what really fascinated me and I was talking before we started recording was I always love a good preface. And for me, a good book starts with a good preface and I, it was engaged me immediately. So that's also a goal of my books. And you talk about going for a job interview at Columbia University and how stressful that is. It's incredibly difficult to have an academic interview, which I understand. And then you talk about how at the end of that day, some really major incident happened in your life and that triggered 10 years of research and incredible discoveries. So can you share that? And then let's talk about secrets. Yes. So in the very beginning, I was interested not in secrecy itself, but metaphor. 
And I was looking at secrecy just as an example of metaphor, because people have this interesting way of talking about secrets. The secret can weigh you down or a secret can be heavy. And so I was interested in that language that people were using. People talk about secrets in that way. Do they think about secrets in that way, too? And so that's where I started. And I was on a job interview once upon a time. And I'm presenting this brand new research on secrecy, this research that shows there is something deeper to to these words that we use to describe our secrets. When people think about a secret, they do seem as if they're physically burdened in that moment. They respond and, and act in ways that happen when people are, are actually physically encumbered. And so it suggested there is this sense of burden that comes with secrets, even when we're just thinking about our secrets. And so I have, I have this whole day where I'm telling people all about this. And it's the job interview for the position I have here today. and. At the end of that day, a very long day, like we're talking from breakfast all the way through midnight. This job interview is happening because we're out having dinner. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's like no break. We're at a bar having drinks after dinner, and I get a call from my dad. And all of a sudden, I'm a little worried because it's weird for him to call me at midnight. Then he calls me a second time, and then I go, "Oh no, something bad has happened. Like someone's died," and so. Things are winding down. I go back to my hotel room because we're at my hotel bar and I call my dad back and he says, Michael, I have something that I need to tell you. Maybe you should sit down. (laughs) And and then he tells me that he's not biologically able to have children. He's telling me that he's not my biological father. And and that's, of course, incredibly shocking. But there, you know, it, it wasn't just that. I immediately accepted that new fact, as shocking as it was. So, you know, it wasn't super shocking to learn that my brother is, in fact, my half-brother completely. But I immediately thought, well, the relationships that I care most about, there's so many of them that are not based on genetics at all. My really close friends, you know, I thought, who cares who has which genes? It, It just doesn't matter. And so that wasn't so hard. What was more difficult was the secret keeping. That was what was most shocking because it was a secret that they were going to keep from me and my younger brother forever. They didn't plan on ever telling us this. And everyone in my family knew apart from me and my brother the whole time. And do they give the reason why? Because you, I don't, didn't find that. Okay. So that's sort of what happened was the, uh, the day, maybe two days before my brother had learned the secret from my mom. And it's because they were having a conversation over the phone and she let something slip that sounded weird. And my brother asked questions and just kept pressing her until she she fessed up. And then they're like, oh, well, now we need to tell Michael, but let's not tell him right before his job interview. Let's wait till after. Could and after you've got a couple of drinks yeah. in you, so you can <laughs> kind of right. process it a bit more, a bit more through a filter. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, okay. And when I would ask, Later, I didn't ask a bunch of questions. Then I asked questions about the content of the secret, not what it was like to keep the secret. But when I started writing the book, I had questions about what it was like to keep that kind of secret. And they told me the same things I find in my research, that it wasn't hard to keep that secret in conversation. Like if they thought of it, they just didn't say it. You know, how hard is that? But what was difficult was the moments after those conversations where they would start wondering, are they doing the right thing? Have they made the right decision here? Mm. And so it was just having to live with the secret that was more difficult than the actual act of hiding in conversation. Mm, that's so interesting. And that spurred a 10-year research 
uh, sort of exploration for you. And you come up, you came up with 38 years, I mean, 38 years, 38 different secrets. But there was something else that you mentioned here. Psychologists have long been interested in how people form relationships and connect with each other, but why we hold back from others and the consequences of not letting other people into our inner worlds has largely been overlooked. And that was being, that's what you mentioned in the beginning. That was kind of spurring the research. And then you, you talk about more than a story of sneakiness or deceit. The story of secrecy is one of the inner workings of the mind, our sense of self, our relationships, how we cope with life challenges and what makes us human. I thought that was so nice how you put that. And everyone has secrets. And, this, you know, but which secrets hurt and why? And that's what you started exploring. So, Please tell us more about how this is part of us being human and, you know, why we do what, why do we have secrets and why do we, why are some more burdensome than others? And there's lots here. And there's 38 main ones. That was fascinating for you. And I read that. Like, oh, wow. 38? Why 38? <laughs> why is it 41? <laughs> well, so, I would have thought it would have been a lot more. That was interesting for me that you actually found so few that were quite global. When I started this research, when I first started realizing oh, wait a minute, we we actually don't know anything about secrets or secrecy because the work that had been done before mine was composed of people creating secrecy situations in the lab, bring two people together, instruct one person to hide something from the other person. So you're essentially creating a new secret uh, for okay. the laboratory context. And, mm-hmm. and in many contexts, that is the gold standard, the experiment. Yeah. The problem with that study is it's not studying a real world secret. Mm-hmm. The likelihood it's extremely low that it's actually going to tell us anything about what real secrets are like, because real secrets are quite different. We've kept, we keep real secrets for years and years. And so the first question was, well, what secrets do people actually keep that hadn't really been asked before? And we asked a couple of thousand people, what's the secret you're currently keeping? And we looked at the common themes that emerged from those thousand responses And what we could see was 38 themes that really clearly came out of the data. And that includes things like secrets about a lie that you've told, secrets about romantic desire. Family secrets are are quite common. And, you know, I just shared my own family secret, uh, secret ambitions, secrets about relationships and sex and work and money, and, and, you know, and on and on. And so what's really important is that people keep multiple secrets. What's important about that is we can go beyond the question of is our secrets bad or good for you and ask which of your secrets hurt you and why. And the only way to get at that is to look at a person's entire set of secrets. And so that's what I do in my studies. You know, I show people this list of common categories of secrets and say, which of these secrets are you currently keeping? And of those 38 common categories of secrets, the average person is currently keeping 13 different that was types fascinating of secrets for me from the too, list. 13. And so I'll ask people questions about each of those secrets. And that's when we can start understanding, okay, what does secrecy actually look like in the real world? Which of our secrets hurt us and why? Okay, so what's the answer? (laughs) Just the whole book now. Just tell me the whole book. (laughs) I'll first tell you what the answer isn't. For a very long time, people thought it was actually totally obvious why secrets hurt us. It's stressful to hide them in conversation. And that's very intuitive. But the problem is, you know, that idea, I think, comes from us imagining the most uncomfortable concealment situation we've ever had. The average secret isn't like that. The typical experience people have with secrets when they're in a conversation is they think of the secret and they don't say it. It's that simple. Is it sometimes stressful? Sure. But not on average. The average secret is not difficult to hide in conversation. And what makes 
a secret typically harmful is not how often we hide it in conversation, but how often we think about it outside of those conversations. And so the secrets that keep coming to mind over and over again, those are the secrets that hurt our well-being. So those ones that are coming to mind over and over again are obviously worrying us. Is that the whole thing that it's like it's you questioning whether you should be sharing? So they're not you're not at peace with them. Is that kind of what the it's certainly one reason. So, so, so one reason is, yeah, we're worried that, you know, what might happen if this comes out or we're worried, are we doing the right thing? Other secret, other reasons why a secret that comes to mind a lot is harmful is we might feel really isolated with that secret. And every time we think of that secret, we're reminded of that feeling of isolation. We might feel inauthentic for keeping a secret. Mm. We might feel uncertain as to whether we're doing the right thing. And so, when you're in a conversation and you're hiding your secret, you're lucky in a way because it's very clear what you need to focus on. Don't say the wrong thing and you're, all mm-hmm. your attention is devoted to that. But when you're thinking about your secret on your own time, your mind can go to all these harmful places. Are you feeling irritable or anxious? Do you struggle with insomnia? Do you have a lot of muscle cramps or twitches? Are you constipated sometimes? There are dozens of symptoms of magnesium deficiency. So these are just a few of the most common ones. It is estimated that four out of five Americans are magnesium deficient and almost everyone is at suboptimal levels. This is a big problem because magnesium is involved in more than 600 biochemicals reactions in your body. Now, here's what most people don't know. Taking just any magnesium supplement won't solve your issues because most supplements use the cheapest kinds that your body can't use or absorb. That's why I exclusively recommend Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb. When you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded. From your brain, to your sleep, to a reduction in pain, inflammation, and better stress management. And here comes the best part. The makers of Magnesium Breakthrough Bio-Optimizers are having an incredible Black Friday special offer from November 21st to the 29th. You can get not only Magnesium Breakthrough, but all of Bio-Optimizers' best-in-class products for 25% off. Bio-Optimizers only offers this discount once a year, so don't miss out. Just go to www.biooptimizers.com forward slash drleaf and enter the code DRLEAF10 to get 25% of any order. This is the best time to stock up on the products you love and try new ones. That is www.biooptimizers.com forward slash DRLEAF with the code DRLEAF10 to get 25% of any order from November 21st to 29th. Want these products sooner? No problem. There's always 10% off for my listeners with the code DRLEAF10 at www.biooptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Order now while supplies last. The link and details will be in the show notes. Uh, okay, so then almost like the measure then is how often it's coming up afterwards. And if it's yeah. something that's constantly coming up and you're looking at all the potential implications and consequences, that's what's becoming very burdensome. And you exactly. also mentioned something about how it impacts relationships, sort of that connection that it can affect that connection because you know you've got the secret. So you're going into that conversation knowing something that that person doesn't know and how that can actually affect your interaction with that person. Yes. That, isn't that kind of paraphrase it? I mean, you said it differently, but is, <laughs> can you talk a little about that concept? 
Yeah. And so while it may not be difficult to hide a secret in a conversation, let's imagine two people who are in a romantic relationship, just because it's easy to, to think about that. You know, imagine you're hiding a secret from your partner. Once in a while, you think of it, you don't say it. That moment isn't stressful, but it's the moments before and after when you're worried about the secret and whether you're doing the right thing and whether you should come clean and, and so on. Ways to keep a secret besides just not saying it include avoiding any conversation related to it. And then that's, even if it's not difficult for you to hide the secret that way, if your partner notices that you seem to clam up when certain topics come up, that's going to become potentially a problem if it feels like you're not being open or or forthcoming, if it seems like you're really closing yourself off. And so even though that's not what makes the secret harmful for you, it could be what's damaging to the relationship for the other person. Mm, that makes so much sense because you you know when you know someone well, you can you could see when they've been avoiding you. You know, these are the shift of the eyes and these yeah. those you know those like body you read our body language fifty percent of communication. So that would become significant. People pick that up. You know, it's definitely. I mean, if I think of my four adult children, if there's something I'm keeping from them, they just know it. I mean, they'll just say you're like, you know, spill it out. There's something you're keeping from us. So that's very yeah. interesting that you say that. There's just so many interesting things in terms of these categories, these categories. It's interesting that they, because was your research done globally and sort of cross cultures and that kind of thing, the survey. So in other words, my question, is this culturally relevant or is this specific to American culture? It, or? it turns out, so I, I've collected data, not Every country in the world, about 26 different countries around the world, you know, countries, including from each continent. And it turns out that we do not see big differences in what people keep secret. We can see some small differences in how those secrets affect the people that are keeping them. But largely, we all keep the same secrets. And and that's actually, it it can be really comforting to think about that because as isolating as a secret can feel, we all have secrets and we all keep the same secrets essentially about the same kinds of things. Mm, that just shows you how relational it is. So your first, that little paragraph that I read in the beginning about the relational aspect and the humanity aspect and the connection aspect is so relevant so that globally across the world, humans don't really like keeping secrets. It seems yeah, there, there, it, there's an instinct of like, you want to share it. Exactly. You have a thought, the normal course of events is you share it. You have something you're struggling with, the normal course of events is you talk about it. When you choose to keep a secret, you're preventing yourself from these normal ways of connecting with others and and getting their support and help. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, so let's dive a little deeper. I want to grab my next question here. I wanted to talk about the three dimensions of secrets, because I know you've got the 38 and the 13, but then you talk about three dimensions. I found that very interesting. Yes. And so where does that come from and, and why do we care? And so yeah. the average person is keeping 13 of these 38 different categories of secrets. And a question that I often get is, well, does is what the secret is about relevant? Does it matter what the secret is about? Another version of that question is, how do the different categories of secrets compare to each other in terms of how much they hurt us and so on? And what's hard or difficult about that question is you're asking in saying how do the secrets compare to each other how do these 38 secrets there's just so many comparisons you get each secret yeah. has to be compared to 37 other secrets and yeah. so that's that's too messy and complicated if you want to understand how the secrets differ from each other we need to understand how we can arrange those secrets in space what are the dimensions that explain 
you know, if we wanted to organize our secrets from least harmful to most harmful, how could we do that? How would we order the secrets? And so it turns out that you need three different dimensions to describe the space that these 38 categories of secrets live in. The first one is how immoral the secret is. And so people feel that this is a very relevant and, and important dimension. Some secrets feel like they're about things that we consider to be morally wrong. And some secrets, the things we're talking about, don't feel wrong at all. Does that impact, obviously, the bur- level, burden level? Okay, so it's yeah, logical. The more amoral, the more burdensome. Exactly. So the more immoral the secret, so each of these dimensions have a unique relationship with well-being. And so for this one, the more immoral the secret is, the more we feel ashamed of it is one way in which that secret can hurt our well-being. But there's two other dimensions. Another dimension is how much the secret involves other people in your relationships with them. And so secrets very high on that include things like really, you know, anything about relationships, anything about sex is very high on that dimension. Secrets that are very low on that dimension don't involve other people. They feel more personal or more individual. And so the secrets that involve other people less are the secrets we feel more isolated with. So that's Mm. a second way in which your secret can hurt you. And then the third dimension is how much the secret is about our goals and aspirations, which often means in the workplace, but not not in all situations. And so secrets about work, secrets about money, very high on this dimension, whereas secrets that are low on that dimension don't seem based in logic and reason, but more like feeling. So a good example there is sexual preferences, sexual orientation, experiences of trauma. You know, these are things that you can't point to a reason for. They're, they're based in these feelings that we have. And, and when the secret is more emotionally based rather than based in sort of logic and, and goals, we feel we have less insight into that secret. And so what's so useful about knowing that there's three ways in which a secret hurt can hurt you, that actually sounds like bad news, but it's not. It's good news because the typical secret doesn't hurt you on all three dimensions. That is 95% of the time we see people endorsing that either one or two of the dimensions is is a way in which the secret is hurting them, which means that 95% of the time there's a way in which your secret isn't hurting you. Mm. And when we help people understand the way in which the secret is not hurting them, it points you to your path forward. Oh, okay. That's fantastic. Could Could you give a little example of that maybe? Just to help that clarify for so that just, just quickly summarize the three dimensions and then just give us a little example because you say it moves, it gives you a path forward. So yeah. your, your parents had a path, your dad had a path forward. So he came to you, went through something. Maybe use that example. I don't know what whichever one you want to. Yeah. So let's think about this. So a secret can make us feel worse because we feel ashamed or that we feel isolated, or that we feel really uncertain, and and that makes us question whether we're doing the right thing. And that's the moral, immoral first dimension, okay? Yes, yeah. And so when we show people these three dimensions and help them think about them and what they mean, you know, one conclusion you might come to is, okay, this secret that I'm keeping, it's not wrong to keep this secret, and the secret isn't about something immoral. And that there's a great strength in recognizing when that's your situation because you can say, well, you know, yes, I might feel isolated and, you know, am I entirely sure whether I'm doing the right thing? Maybe not, but I know there's nothing wrong with keeping that secret, the secret. And Mm -hmm. if that's the situation, it won't hang over your head as much. You won't ruminate on it as much. And you might find healthy ways of thinking about it once you recognize there's nothing wrong about what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe you're thinking 
I guess the secret is about something that's morally wrong, or maybe someone is being hurt by not knowing this information. But maybe you think, well, but there's other people involved in the secret. You can go to those other people and talk to them. And so you yeah. do have this other resource available to you if other people are implicated or involved in the secret or, or you're keeping it with them even. And then, you know, maybe you feel isolated with a secret. Maybe you feel ashamed, but you know in your heart that this is the right thing. And, you, you know, it wasn't an easy decision, but you know that this is best for you and best for everyone else then you can take comfort in that you've chosen the right, you know, you've made the right decision and maybe it's not easy, but if you feel more confident in the decisions you've made, you're going to feel more capable when it comes to coping with the secret. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, wow. I love that. Okay. That was really, that was really clear and easy to follow. Okay. So let's have a look at my next question. Confessing and confiding. I wanted to talk about that and then a little bit about culture and coping and then anything else you wanted to talk about. So confessing and confiding, which is kind of what you experience yourself. So, mm. so I, this distinction that I draw between confessing and confiding, when you reveal a secret to a person you're keeping it from, I call that confession. When you reveal it to anybody else, it's confiding. And okay. confession confession is the complicated one. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are instances when revealing that secret to that person could really hurt their feelings. There are times when revealing that secret could destroy your relationship. You know, maybe you're confessing to infidelity, for example. And yeah. so we can talk about that difficult decision too. Confiding in a secret, however, it's there, there isn't this complication that, you know, how that you could damage these relationships where if you choose the right person, confiding will help because you get to keep the secret. You know, you're not revealing it to the person you're keeping it from, but you can get a third party's help. And the typical experience people have with confiding a secret, maybe because they choose the right people, is very helpful. And so the average experience of confiding a secret, people feel that they get emotional support and often practical support to advice and guidance. And, and other people, they can offer you new perspectives that you haven't you know, found yourself. And they can just be there for you in a way that you can't get on your own. You can't mm. give yourself emotional support in the same way that another person can. And so it turns out that even if someone responds in a kind of lukewarm way, even that can be really helpful. And so it turns out that, you know, someone has to respond very, very negatively for you to feel like you've made the wrong decision. Mm. But even if it's just slightly positive, you feel like you get a lot out of it. And so really confiding a secret is usually a very good 
way forward because that person can help you in a way that's really hard to do on your own. Pretty much. I love that. So it's like getting another perspective, which always helps us to reconceptualize things and manage them more efficiently. The confession thing is a difficult one, though, isn't it? Because you've got to, you know, it's a judgment call and you may need to confine to confess. I would just think there would probably be a link. If you're thinking to confess, it may be good to get that perspective to help. Yes, absolutely. What language you're going to use mm -hmm. and that kind of thing as well. So this is really great. Okay. So coming just before we move on to the next question. I wanted to just link this back to mental health. This podcast is called, as you know, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. And a, a lot of my work and my, my current research that I'm still doing, we one of the things I say the most to people is it's actually okay to be a mess. As humans, you know, this is really part of who we are because we don't, we can't predict everything. We are basically experimenting. We like little scientists all the time and but our hypotheses aren't always going to be accepted and, you know, we're going to make these mistakes. But that's okay as long as you manage that, you know, see it, own it, work through it. And, you know, secrets falls into this realm too. It's it, Sometimes we have to keep a secret. Sometimes we keep a secret and we shouldn't and all these things that apply there. So this links very much to our mental well-being. And I'm seeing a, a, a tremendous dimension here in, the, in your work of mental well-being and, and almost Correct me if I'm wrong, but the objective here of giving people a path forward in in and out of secrecy, when to get in and out of secrecy is has a very important impact on mental well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the most important thing to know here is that keeping any specific secret might not be harmful at all. A habit of secret keeping is the person who habitually keeps secrets as a way of dealing with problems is someone who isn't working on those problems okay. at all. Because when we choose to be entirely alone with something, especially something big or something upsetting, we're not going to develop the healthiest way of, of thinking about it. It's, it's very likely we're going to find the worst way of thinking about it because we're just totally alone in our thoughts. Uh, very good. And so sometimes a secret won't hurt you at all. And sometimes it will. And so what you want to understand is which are the ones that are hurting you. If you're thinking about a secret all the time and you just can't get your mind off of it, that to me signals it's time to change course. It's time to bring someone else into the conversation, someone who can challenge your counterproductive lines of thinking. Mm. In other words, if it's impacting your functioning, how you're showing up and it's affecting your emotions, your behaviors, your perspective, you know, how your body feels, all these things. When those signals start shouting out to you, then it's definitely something that you should be paying attention to because it's going to affect your mental health. And then the other side is if it's happening all the time. In other words, if it's almost like a coping strategy yeah. or an avoidance strategy that you just make everything secret and pretend everything's fine all the time, that's also going to have an impact. Have I understood that correctly? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's someone who avoids working on these things, it's not going to help um, in most cases. And so, you know, another thing people sometimes wonder is, well, if I'm not ready to talk about a secret or someone, what else can I do? And journaling is something that can help, but it's really important to pay attention to what you're doing with it. If mm. you're using a journal essentially to rehash the past and how bad you feel about it, you're just using, it just becomes a written record of your harmful um, rumination. Yeah, that, that's worse. not helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you're using it to try to find a new perspective, then it can be helpful. Mm, now it's can really, be really good. It can be really hard to find new perspectives and, and more healthy ways of thinking on our own, though. And so that's what makes another person so much more helpful than the blank page, because they can immediately, they're a different person, they have different experiences, they immediately will have different perspectives they can offer. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Is it checking up on your credit score? 
didn't think so. At Chime, that's exactly what they do. With their secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can start to build credit with your own money. Chime reports your payments to credit bureaus to help you build credit over time. Their members see an increase of 30 points on average. All of this with no annual fees, large security deposits or credit checks to apply. So start your credit journey with Chime. Sign up takes only two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score. It starts at chime.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. That's chime.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Stride Bank in a pursuant of a license from Visa USA. Chime checking account and plus $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply for the secure Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Regular on-time payment history can have a positive impact on your credit score. Impact to score may vary and some users' scores may not improve. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply except at MoneyPass ATMs at 7-Eleven or any AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance at ATM. Mm, that is really a very, very good point that you make there. That just to go and journal and just rehash whatever you think about the most is going to keep growing in your brain and your mind. So, you know, it just, as you said, you, you can almost increase victimhood and mm-hmm. increase bitterness and, you know, look what's happened to me versus, okay, this is what it is now. What am I going to do about it? So either if you can do that on your own or in collaboration with someone, a therapist or friend or something like that, that's, yeah. that's really important. And then I'd love to touch on culture and coping. Yeah, so we're we're now at the to- we're at the forefront of what we know. So the what I talk about in the book and what mm-hmm. we're about to chat about now, it's it's problems we're still working on. We're still figuring these things out. And so there's all kinds of cultural differences. One could study. <laughs> I've chosen two of them. And so, you know, one is a bit more familiar to folks, collectivism versus individualism. Yeah. And then the other is one that's kind of interesting too, or no, not kind of, definitely. <laughs> and it's about whether your social environment is one in which it's up to you to form and establish relationships. So for example, you know, in the US, it's very, this. it's not just individualistic, but you, it's up to you to form your relationships. Whereas mm-hmm. in an environment, you know, think about something like, so arranged marriage is an, is an extreme example of not having control over who your relationship partners are. Mm-hmm. And so in an environment that is more like that, people are in these tighter social networks of people in your sort of immediate family and your immediate neighborhood. And so that changes that changes how we connect with people if these sort of relationships are given. Whereas when you have to develop your own relationships, that kind of environment, you have to do more work to establish those relationships and you have to do more work to maintain them. And so revealing information about yourself is a major way of connecting with other people and forming relationships, but only in an envi- only in societies where it's like up to you to find your friends and, and your romantic partners. And so what that means is that, you know, it turns out that when you are in an environment where people don't share these intimate disclosures as a way of forming relationships, people feel more isolated with their secrets. Mm. When it comes to collectivism versus individualism, Mm -hmm. even if you're keeping a secret, if you're in a collective context, and even if you're keeping a secret for the group, as in like, you think it benefits the group to keep the secret Intuitively, for me, at least, I I would thought that would make the secret easier to keep, but it turns out to be the opposite. Even when you're keeping a secret for the good of the group, it feels more wrong. It feels more inauthentic to be holding back from the group in the first place. 
And so what we're seeing from understanding how culture affects whether we reveal information about ourselves and the consequences of holding back is, is it seems like there's these two primary ways of feeling disconnected from other people. One is feeling isolated as then not as closely emotionally connected with them. Mm-hmm. And then another is feeling inauthentic as sort of not being true to your relationships. Mm, and that makes sense. And so these different experiences come with different advice. If you feel like there's something inauthentic about keeping your secret, then that signals there's some conflict here, as in, you know, what you feel like you're getting from the secret is conflicting from what you feel like you're losing from keeping this secret. Oh, that's interesting. And, mm. and so if you feel inauthentic for keeping a secret, what you need to figure out is what is the conflict? Like you need to identify the conflict and figure out how to move forward or, or resolve it. If instead what's so difficult about secrecy is you just feel like I'm alone, you need to talk to someone. Mm. And maybe it's someone close to you, maybe it's someone removed from it all, but someone. And what's so helpful about talking about these things, difficult things with other people, it's not just saying them out loud, even though that can feel good to you. It's what they say back. That's Mm. what's really helpful because people on average are so helpful. They just have so much to offer. And it turns Mm. out we don't need very much to, to feel better. Uh, that's such a great statement you've made that people are so helpful. You don't just have to be a therapist to be able to help people. As humans, exactly. instinctively, we have this wisdom in us. And you know, talk about this this concept of the wisdom in us so much. And we become so over-therapeutized in our current culture and forgotten about our own inner resilience, our own inner wisdom, and how great we are helping each other. I don't know if you ever heard that of that study, and it's it's related, but it's not related to your work from Zimbabwe, the the friendship bench. King's University in Harvard did a study of it, and it was literally this granny who sat on a log in this tribal village in Bobby's where I was actually born, and everyone just used to go and tell her their secrets, and that's what made me think about this. They would just go talk, and she didn't necessarily give advice. She would bounce back with sort of questions, but it was that collaboration. It was that sharing. It was that trust that has been established, which then kind of created this very interesting relationship within the within the villages and just the community and the because it's very much a collective society, mm-hmm. collectivism mm-hmm. and and the meaning of meaningfulness of the group. And so it just it, it made me think of what you were saying and how important that is for our well-being that we that we we can actually help each other. You don't need a degree. And I almost yeah. I have such a concern about our current climate of, of near reductionism and biomedical model, which that's like as a parent, you, you need to rely on, a, on, a, on an expert to raise your kids. As, a, as an adult, you need to rely on an expert to run your relationship or any emotion you have. Meanwhile, we could get so much support from our friends. And this secret concept is, is kind of paramount, if I think of it, yeah. just, just you know, from reading your book and, and hearing you, it's it's a lot of our hidden stuff is in those secrets. And if we can learn to sort of weigh them up and find out the the conflict, I like that. I like, you know, look at the conflict it's causing and how often you're thinking about it, those kind of issues and reach out to someone, you can bring some sort of balance. Now, I may be off mark, but am I understanding you a little bit better? Is that kind Absolutely. of Absolutely, yes. Uh, well, this has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed it. And your work is amazing. How would you kind of toss out a pearl of wisdom about secrets? And, you know, how has it helped you with your mental health? Well, for me, I, I try, you know, I, I don't have zero secrets. Everyone has secrets, me included. But I try to not have a secret that I'm the only one who knows. And I try to always go to someone, someone, whoever that person is. And yeah. so, 
you know, especially if there's a secret that's bothering you or, or upsetting you, there's no reason to be alone with that. There is someone out there who will be helpful to you. And there's many people out there who will be helpful to you. And so the question is just finding that person. And they really, they could, they could be anyone, anyone you feel that you can trust. And what we see, this is a long, this is a long take home. Uh, no, but no, what it's we great. See, <laughs> is that people that people say are very helpful are those that are compassionate, people who will be non-judgmental and caring and empathic. And so that's one thing to look for in a confidant. Another thing people say is really helpful in a confidant is someone who's assertive and decisive, someone who will push you to do the thing that you Mm. know you need to do. And then finally, you want to choose someone who won't be totally scandalized by what you're telling them because it's very rare, and I don't want to give people the idea that they shouldn't confide secrets. Once in a while, people reveal the secrets we reveal to them to someone else. Mm-hmm. And that happens when they think what you just told them is, is really morally objectionable. And so you want to find someone who has a similar set of you, sort yeah. of moral system as you, and then there won't be this moral shock that gets in the way. Oh, that is tremendously good advice and just kind of triggers a response to that, which is the sort of religious side of things where, you know, you're not, don't keep a secret. It's a sin to keep a secret and that kind of thing. And, you know, that you have to tell almost like, you know, it's kind of been associated keeping a secret with a lie and all the moralistic stuff that's involved there. But you actually create, you know, just listening to all of this, that creates this, this, your research creates a sense of freedom around that because you're giving a set of parameters of, of the different ways that secret works and, and how they're different and how you can actually work through them and which ones are good. This is really great. Very, very freeing yeah. for people and a great way of looking at things. Right. Life can be complicated and there's no reason you need to work it out or figure it out on your own. Love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a fascinating topic and I really enjoyed the discussion in your book and keep up the great work. I look forward to reading more about your work. Thanks for having me. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com. And to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.